You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Game, set, podcast on the Sports Podcasting Network. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played around. And welcome to Game Set Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramay as we check in with the Australian Open into the second week now, into the semifinals in some cases, the quarterfinals still uh, to work some out on the men's side there and the women's side. But uh, lots of lots of fun stuff, uh, some Canadian stuff to talk about as well. Kevin, exciting Canadian news. Uh, got a, an all-time classic matchup coming up in the semifinals on the men's side. So lots of fun stuff to talk about as we get into the meat of the Aussie Open. How you doing, though? I am doing great. A little tired this morning because I watched a lot of tennis last night. Uh, into the wee hours of the morning, basically, with uh, Milos Raonic. And uh, that's days ago. You had uh, Djokovic and Nishikori yesterday, which was a great match. Yeah, it was Djokovic all the way, but uh, still Nishikori tried to fight, especially in the third set. Uh, Federer yesterday morning with a great performance. Three straight set versus is... is Black Sheep, basically, he, he said after the match that British is that type of player that makes you a better tennis man on the tour when you face him. He said, British beat me on the best courts in the entire world, and it feels good today to win here. And he actually never beat me at the Australian Open, so there's that. So uh, just wonderful tournament we're seeing so far amidst, yeah. amidst controversy. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit of that. I, I think maybe uh, in, in at some point here, there's been some odd betting patterns. We've already sort of beat to death the, the stuff there, but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll deal with that off the top. I guess, Kevin. Like, uh, what are your thoughts on on the fact that they they found some odd betting patterns in the in the Australian Open? Is, is that something we should be surprised about? Not if you ask the BBC and BuzzFeed with their article that they published on the second day of the tournament opening. It's exactly what we talked about. It's uh, some wages on spot fixing type of gambling. You can tell it's hard to see it and to pinpoint it for sure. But when you see flags raised, you see uh, unusual amount of bet. You know the, the algorithm I was talking on Five Rings podcast to maybe uh, it exists on a smaller scale, and that smaller scale got picked up, and that's what they saw. That a there was a weird betting patterns on certain matches, certain points with weird results and ups. Yeah, so. There, it exists, and is it a proof? Maybe not, but it does put some weight on that article that BBC and BuzzFeed did write a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about this is if, in fact, it is evidence that the, the fixers are continuing on, uh, it shows how brazen they are, right? Yeah, it Even shows like, yeah, we'll just... Like, nothing, just business as usual. We don't care. We're still not going to get caught because we know better. Yeah, and that, that's the scary part about it. Uh it is very, very difficult to crunch it out. It, it's very difficult to get rid of it at the highest level, let alone when you get way down into the lower levels of, the, of any sport. Um, it's you know, if a guy's only making ten grand a year, struggling to try and get by and chase a dream, then you know it's it's so easy to be bought in by a, by a fixer offering to double your salary, right? Like it's it's, <laughs> exactly. it's it's so hard. 
hard, hard, hard anyway. All right, let's move back to the court, low because we are into the deep end of this tournament. And I did want to start, obviously, with I think that the the storyline for many people in the days ahead will be Djokovic versus Federer, the semifinal there, which a lot of people may call the the quote-unquote real final or, or whatever, although I think that that's being disrespectful to, uh, to the other side of the draw, uh, Andy Murray in particular. But uh, certainly it's a matchup that everyone likes to see, a matchup that could be a final. Lots of fun stuff there, Kevin. Uh, how excited are you to watch another Djokovic-Federer battle? I'm always up for those matches, especially at a Grand Slam tournament. feels like, yes, they do face each other quite often. It's their 45th meeting between the two. And right now, Dwayne, as luck would have it, or as parody would have it, it's 22 and 22 for both against each other. So yeah. uh, it's quite a, a matchup that will maybe... If it's a best out of 23 series, well, the next winner takes all. So, Djokovic Federer, very interesting competition. Federer looks very lean this year. He's very small, but he seems like he's running faster at an older age. Very interesting to see the difference in Federer's body. Uh, a, a player that we know has a very healthy lifestyle, very uh, new age type of environment, and he uh, he had some spend. He was some vegan, some spend. He did some eat some very small amount of poultry, but he has a very healthy lifestyle, and we see this happen when you look at him. He looks better now than he did two, three, four years ago, and the fact that he's able to hang with the guys that are fast. He, he calls them the fast legs, and when he's talking about Nishikori or Djokovic, he's like, it doesn't matter who I'm going to face, because both of them are known as the fastest legs in the tournament, and that's what I need to face now at my age, is the fastest of those legs, and that's what he He's leaner, and that's the reason to uh, maybe get that extra step that gets him that one chance of instead of just returning the ball defensively, maybe get a winner in an important match like the ones with Djokovic and Federer. So uh, that's what's interesting to me with Federer is just the way he is mentally looking at the game. He knows his age. He knows his disadvantage, but he's trying to highlight his strength and hide his weakness, and I think he's doing a good job at it right now. Yeah, Federer to me is playing like a man who has nothing left to prove to the world, that he knows who he is, his legacy is assured, uh, he still enjoys, from what I can tell, playing the game, still enjoys competing out there, still enjoys proving that uh, that he is the talent that he is, but is also at peace with the fact that uh, that maybe he's not going to win every tournament and maybe he, he won't win every Grand Slam, but he's, he's happy to be out there and competing. And I think that's dangerous when you're at, at the level he is, that there's nothing... There's no pressure internal. Like there's always pressure, but you know what I mean. Like he's he's not going to be afraid. If he loses it, so be it. He lost in the semifinal. A great athlete. He doesn't have to prove himself anymore. And that's a dangerous place to be. I think the proverbial loose. Are we talking about here? So he's playing loose. Who's dangerous? I have to agree with you. Yeah, and, and that said, Djokovic is is quite clearly the best the best player in the world. That, that, that's good. I'm going to give you some numbers on Djokovic over the the past year in Grand Slams. Uh, he is 32 and one wow. in the. In, since the start of 2015 in Grand Slams, he lost the French Open final. Of course, uh, he has won uh, his uh, at Australia at, in Melbourne. He has won 37 of his last 38 matches uh, in this tournament. So this is a guy that clearly is at the top of his game. The guy that was that everyone just assumed was the favorite to win this tournament. He's the number one seed for a reason, and uh, certainly he will be the the favorite in this matchup with Federer. But it should be a, a fascinating. 
uh, affair to watch. And I, I think a lot of alarm clocks will be set in the uh, in the Western in the North American world to watch that one late. Although it'll probably be oh, it'll be the nighttime. It'd probably be three thirty in the morning. Or PVRs. That That's the beauty of today, though. You have the PVRs, so you can actually watch it when you wake up before checking your phone and Twitter. You just put that on and you watch it like it's live. Yeah. Before we move on, I just want to talk in general terms about the idea of having a rivalry like this. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I think that that's – tennis it's, is it's throughout its history has been defined by its rivalries. Where does this yeah. one match up in your mind, Kevin? It's weird to see the word rivalry between those two, but it's, a, it's such a classy and respectful relationship they both have against each other. It's always very classy. Nobody yells at each other. Nobody says anything uh, disregarding the other athlete. They're always very cordial, very nice to each other, and they both respect each other immensely. So it's weird to see the word rivalry, but it's right. Both are pushing each other to become better. It's a different type of... It's Agassi Sempris in a different way because you have other pieces, Nadal, Murray, sometimes that are interjected into that conversation. But Djokovic versus Federer brings a very different where it's the game. It's the sport is... Can you beat this? Can If I do this to you, do you know what to do? Do you know how to react? Can you consistently do that forehand volley, backhand volley when I put you in that position? It's that type of conversation. It's very focused on each other's game. And it's a there's a similarity in their game where Djokovic, yes, is a little faster, but he is inspired in a way by Federer. And Federer has the, the mentor or uh, the legend the living playing legend that he is he doesn't necessarily want to uh, give all his strict and he's trying to reinvent himself find new ways to beat the new crop of generation so it's a very intriguing relationship they have on the court where they're facing each other and i just can't wait to watch it tomorrow yeah i i think that uh, this particular uh emerging rivalry doesn't quite get the same uh sort of uh, attention that uh, maybe Nadal versus Federer did in the past because Djokovic still, I think, struggles to to be beloved in the same way that those players do. But I, that might be changing a little bit with his excellence, with his his changing personality. He seems to be looser in interviews and things like that. And uh, I, 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 I always get the feeling, and I think we've talked about this on different platforms before, how Djokovic just doesn't get the respect he deserves or isn't loved as much as he should be based on the excellent player that he, that he is, Kevin. So... Um, I tend to be a bit contrarian and will probably be the guy cheering for Djokovic in that matchup, but uh, we'll we'll see, and uh, I look forward to watching it. No, same here. It's going to be quite an interesting game and uh, a classic, hopefully. All right. Um, I want to turn to the other side of the draw where Andy Murray remains uh, the favorite to, to make the final. We're going to talk about our Canadian in a minute who uh, is having an intriguing little tournament, but... Uh, some some scary stuff for uh, for Murray has uh, defined his uh, his week in, recently. Nigel Sears, his father-in-law, uh, basically collapsed. Uh, in, in, he was uh, on a, on the court uh, managing a, a different player, a woman's player. Uh, he collapsed, and that no one knew what was going on. And I was watching this live at the time, and the ESPN was sort of giving these kind of half-assed live updates, which I have some issues with in terms of of them telling us partial information about a, a man who may or may not be in dress for his life. But however, it, it worked out in the end and he is back in the UK uh, with his family, uh, assumedly doing well. Andy Murray talked openly about how he thought about dropping out of the tournament based on, on this. This is his father-in-law. He is very close to his family. His wife is pregnant, of course. So yeah. this is the, her her father. Um, so this is a, a very kind of scary situation. He He's spoken openly about how much 
it's been mentally straining on him this week uh, to, to fight through that stuff. But yet he remains. And uh, a tough matchup tonight with uh, Ferrer um, that, uh, that I think could go either way. But certainly the winner of that one would probably be considered the favorite against either uh, uh, Monfils or, or Ronick. But uh, just talk about Andy Murray's game this week and uh, whether you think he, he should be the, uh, the standalone favorite based on some of the mental issues he's had to fight through, Kevin. Quite a weird type of circumstances for Andy Murray in this Australian Open tournament. Let's just just let alone the the, the health situation of his uh, father-in-law. You just look at the fact that his wife is pregnant and about to give birth any minute, basically. And he openly talked about before the tournament that if his wife goes into labor, well, I'm out of here. And that tells you maybe a little bit of insight into where his state of mind is. Will that be a problem against a player like David Ferrer? Can he uh, make abstraction of what's going on outside the court to focus on the tournament? Yes, when you're inside an Australian Open, you're a Grand Slam type of tournament, you're inside a bubble. And whatever is going on in your life is probably uh, over... Uh, overplayed in your own little bubble because that's all you see, that's all you hear, that's all you feel. So him getting asked questions about his wife and his father-in-law probably every single minute now for the last couple of hours, well, it probably doesn't help that pressure. So it's going to be interesting to see his uh, his demeanor when he walks into the court because Andy Murray has always been very transparent. He's uh, very usually calm and collected on the court, doesn't get that angry. He's English, he's English after all. Well, he's British after all when he's winning, <laughs> like you mentioned before. But that's going to be important. If he comes onto the, the court and is relaxed and is able to focus and is loose and gets his shots in and establish a, a couple points lead, we'll know he's fine. If he goes into the court, he's jittery, he's agitated, and we see do him reaction that we don't necessarily see out of Andy Murray, then we'll know that it got to him. Yeah, I look, I I, I would. He's human, and this is a tough yeah, matchup. No, this I'm not judging. I'm just saying it might happen. But you're right. He's human after all, right? We, yeah, we would already be gone from there. Yeah, and you wouldn't blame him if he. Uh, if he kind of mentally checked out, uh, not completely or fully or whatever, like he's a professional, he's able to go and cruise control, and these guys do a lot of things by instinct anyway. But, you know, the idea of flying home to be with his pregnant wife and his sick father-in-law has to be appealing at some level. And I'm sure that they are telling him to stay and compete. But put yourself in that situation, and, and would you be would you be as up for it? Would you be as pumped for it? Would you be as, you know, the perception, the perspective would be there a little bit more, right? And if he falls behind uh, tonight, then I can't help but think that maybe the the drive won't be quite as strong to get back into it. Because what does he have to prove? He's won his majors. He's won Wimbledon. He's broken the curse of the British person at, on the, the, yeah, Wimbledon uh, and won the Olympics too. So that, that's, at Wimbledon. yeah, so, you know, he's, he's already scaled the mountain and <laughs> won the Davis cup too. scaled the mountain. Right. So th- this is uh, not a lot for this man to prove at this point in time. So, you know, that said, either he may go out and rip one out through straight sets and, and win an Australian open too to honor his father-in-law, his exactly. pregnant wife. So we don't know, but uh, it's something to watch for. And certainly uh, I think we're, we're too uh, easily forget the human aspect of these athletes sometime. And, that had to be a very scary situation for all involved. Oh, yeah. uh, what was it? Was, was, was scary watching it on TV, yeah. let alone being emotionally involved in it, right? No, exactly. And it's always something special, Dwayne, when we have individual sports or even uh, team sports. But I remember, example, Brett Favre in the playoff playing after the death of his father and having the, probably one of the best games of his career. You've seen this situation happen time and time again. And it is, yes, the story aspect of sports that we do like to talk about. But 
when that happens, when the emotional side actually propels you, motivates you, brings you to a level that you never actually previously played at, sometimes emotions can do that. Can he channel it? Can he use this energy, this emotion, this anger, this uh, anxiousness to actually help him on the court? That's another interesting point heading into that game of Andy Murray versus David Ferrer tonight. All right, if you're listening to this one on the day that we record this, the, that is the early matchup tonight um, here in the East. That will go around 8.30 or so p.m., 9 o'clock around there. It'll be, uh, yeah, be the on the court. Yeah. So uh, actually, I think it's about 10. It's, it's with the early one in the, in the morning session, though, in the afternoon session. So uh, uh, actually, you, you were talking off air. Before we go into Ronick, which we'll, we'll talk about to end the show, I think, uh, with along with some Serena Williams news and uh, the double stuff, um, you were talking the, – the Federer did an interview talking about the difference between the day and night play there. Do you want to just uh, summarize that? I think that's kind of interesting. Absolutely. Federer, uh, well, he was asked a question. If, uh, today, Roger, was your last day session. Your next game, if you have two, will be at night, semifinals at finals. Is there a big difference? Do you feel a big difference? And he, Federer's answer was, uh, yeah. Uh, here in Australia is probably the one court at Royal Labor Arena in the entire world where there's the biggest difference between a day session and night session. The way you prepare is different. You do need to hydrate yourself a little bit more if you're playing during the day, duh, because of uh, it's the summer down there. It's very hot, very humid. But more importantly, uh, if you're looking at the surface, surface might be a little softer like about certain, like enough to actually affect the, the, the ball trajectory. The, the rackets themselves, the cords need to be uh, more tense. The tension needs to be higher because of that difference of temperature. Uh, if you're looking at a layman's physics here, the higher the temperature, the looser the material is going to get in that temperature, especially under stress. So the racket needs to be more tense. Uh, a lot of different aspects of uh, meal preparation, uh, physical preparation goes differently. Uh, sleeping pattern, uh, getting your rest, your nap in at the right time. Recovery patterns are different too. If you're playing, example, at nighttime and daytime, the amount of time between the two sessions is smaller, even though it's still two days. The window of time to recover your muscles is very short and on a level that those guys are playing this is important uh, like uh, we're talking about in the, uh, in the level of technology here now that's in 2016 ice bath uh, compression shorts compression long sleeves are mandatory basically to do a quick recovery so the difference of daytime and nighttime session is huge in the preparation of those athletes all right, interesting stuff. All right, let's move on to Milos. Uh, he got the biggest win of his career. Uh, beat, beat Believe Stan. in the sleeve, Dwayne. Believe in the sleeve. That's uh, the hashtag here in Canada. The they're at the sleeve is a big thing up here, and uh, people are starting to to get on the Milos bandwagon uh, pretty heavy. It would be a little bit more if it wasn't in the middle of the night, as we've said before. But certainly a lot of excitement over the, his changes to his game, and that's. The big thing. We've always had the big serve. He's always been a guy that can go to a fourth round, to a quarterfinals, even of a grand slam. But there's never been a, a time before, Kevin, where I've looked at his game and said, I can see if everything played out yep. perfectly, he has a chance. Not a great chance at this point. But he does have um, one. But he does have a chance to win this tournament. And that would be uh, something that that just wasn't expected even four or five months ago. And uh, he's talked a lot about how he changed the mental aspect of his game, how he's uh, brought a lot of new new players into his team, strategically attacking the ball a little bit differently. And his net game, man, that's that that's the difference. He's just he has a net game now. He never did before. <laughs> yeah. 
And that, you know, you're absolutely the right way. And then you just to go back to what you just mentioned before, it always seemed like he was great. He was something, but he was missing something. It took us for a long time to pinpoint that it was the net and the service volley and some transition between the midcourt and the net presence that was lacking. But when you're actually looking at him now, his game seems not necessarily complete and the total package, but we're seeing the progression in such a high growth, like uh, such a high graph uh, angle that now we're actually seeing that, wow, this kid has maybe more potential than we thought. And now like top five and top two, three might not seem far-fetched just the way he's playing right now in Australia. He's 8-0 in 2016, Dwayne. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Stan uh, said that he was sick for the last 10 days. How much of that was an excuse, we don't know. Uh, obviously, he beat Federer in Brisbane uh, when Federer was sick. So, um, what's happening in Switzerland, guys? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Switzerland. Need to... Maybe the the plane ride from Switzerland to Australia got a little uh, a little muggy and a little uh, a little germy. Yeah, who knows? But uh, certainly uh, the confidence that that brings and builds has has got to be um, something that that's really uh, interesting and, and and drives him. But that it's a different situation now in the quarterfinals. Milos has never been in a Grand Slam quarterfinals where he's the favorite. Uh, he is against Monfils, for sure. Right uh, now, um, Ronish is seated 13th, Wayne, and Monfils is 23rd. Yeah, and Milos, I think most people acknowledge, is probably a top 10 player that had his rating slip because, or ranking slip because of his injuries last year. So, whereas Monfils is a guy that is spectacular to watch and, and sort of a, you know, a crowd pleaser in a lot of ways, but has never really consistently been able to perform at anywhere close to the level that Milos even has to this point. So, I don't think there's any doubt that Milos is the favorite in this match, and that's a different situation to go into to to close that out and and that will be another challenge for Milos to get over there because we talked about Murray and maybe his mental game not being completely there um you know not to dismiss fair to his possibility of doing this too <laughs> yeah. so he's a, um, he's a good too yeah so they, but it's it's never been more open to at least make a final and and that would be another step he's been to a semi-final at Wimbledon of course but uh, to get to a, a final would be a, a phenomenal and I don't think that it's ever been better set up once he got past Stan to me you know if you beat that then then you have the confidence riding into it and uh it's it certainly will be interesting to watch and uh, that game for those that are, are planning to watch it here in Canada will be at 3 30 in the morning uh, approximately so Eastern time, uh, you West Coast folks can uh, get the coffee up and stay up to about 3.30, whereas the East Coast folks might want to get up at 3.30 and have a, have a long day. <laughs> yeah, you clearly don't know me, Dwayne. I'm clearly just, it's my normal sleeping pattern. I'll be up anyways. Yeah, I know. Do we have a show tomorrow Tomorrow morning? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'll be there. I'll be do we need to do we need to reschedule that? Okay, we can always uh, record after, right after yeah. the, the, the game. Yeah, but just to go back to around his victory over Standway and the fact that he won the first two sets and lost two and was able to recover and win the fifth one is something that we're not necessarily used to seeing with Raonic. The, the, the mental presence of saying, you know what, let's just forget that set. I'm still in that match. I still just need to win one just like him to get that W. And look what he did. He did beat that W in uh, versus a top five in the world. And if you're looking at his uh, hunting trophy case right now, it's in 2016 only. You have Federer and Wawrinka. Two of the top five. Not too shabby. Yeah. All right. Uh, no doubt who I'm cheering for in that one. <laughs> but 
I've less Milos thing. I found it fascinating here in Canada uh, how he's perceived has been always. We're all always a little dismissive of our athletes to begin with because I think we have a bit of self confidence issues at times, particularly when we haven't been successful in the sport like we hadn't been in for years before Milos broke down. So there's been a lot of people for years that have been writing off the possibility that this kid was actually potential or potentially someone who could be uh, win a Grand Slam because they looked at his uh, performance after he broke through and he didn't initially immediately jump in and start winning these things right. Yeah. And I think that there's just because tennis is not a sport that's naturally covered by the mainstream here in Canada a lot. There was this instinct for the mainstream reporters to look at what they remember tennis being like Boris Becker, Becker jumping on the scene, like young players jumping on the scenes way back when and not equating it to now. So really, it was unfair of people in Canada to expect Milos to start to peak until about now but I do think that said that now is the time that he realistically should start to grow and and really challenge if he is to be a player that we think he could be it's about when Murray started to break through right and and I think that that's where Milos is and he now he now is at the point where he needs to start uh, proving it otherwise we may be looking at a guy that if he doesn't you know get to a grand slam final or or consistently get to semifinals at the least in the next year or so we may be looking at a guy that is a top 10 but not a top five but uh certainly very promising start to to his uh, 2016 season regardless kevin no i have to agree with you especially on the point that you mentioned where for let's say north american casual sports fans when you're looking at i think it's a byproduct of them watching professional team leagues like NHL, NFL, NBA, whatever, that you have 30, 32 teams. If you finish top 10, it's impressive, but not as impressive as I finished first. There's about the thousands of players in the world of tennis. So if you're top 10, has a lot more weight than if you're top 10 in the, in the 30 team league. So I think it's a byproduct of that aspect that it's hard to explain to people the achievement of just being in the top 50, top 100, top 10 so yeah i think it's a byproduct of that but uh, i think the cultures are changing i think that now with the proliferation of uh tv networks on sports of course yeah they're firing all the journalists but i'm saying at least there's uh, more games and more in-depth coverage and with the proliferation of alternative media you get more in-depth coverage of what you do like uh, like shows like ours so there's a certain understanding now that is more deep in the, the tennis world and especially on the casual fans that do watch tennis that yeah being in the top 10 is probably equivalent to being the two three best team in a uh, team league yeah I, I remember a couple of years ago last thought on this uh there was someone that was arguing with me and uh me being me had to prove him wrong so i went out and uh, demonstrated <laughs> that that milos at that particular time was the number one ranked player in the world under the age 23 and the top players tend to be in their 25 to 30 right like that's when you peak yep. so he's getting close to that and uh we 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 hope it uh, breaks through. It's been exciting to watch. And I, like, if he loses to Monfils, um, that'll be a bit disappointing now. But at the same time, it's a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam, and we have to sort of reflect upon that a little bit. And uh, you know, it'll help his ratings a little, a ranking a little bit. So maybe he'll get a little easier draw. Won't have to draw stand until a little later next time. Um, all right, let's uh, move on and talk about Serena a little bit. Uh, I don't Down. know what to talk. That's all I have to say. Down. Yeah, Sharapova just wasn't even in the match. And uh, it doesn't look like anyone's going to stop her. It didn't look like anyone was going to stop her at the U.S. Open either. Uh, so we'll give that caveat. But this is a woman that dictates the game on the women's side to such an extreme level, as we've said a couple times on the show already, that it is very difficult to get into any deeper analysis other than, damn, she's good. Right? <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I feel like? That there's her upset loss at U.S. Open last year to an unknown 
You know, you know what? It, I think it geared, it geared inside her of what? How dare you? How dare you beat me in my home major tournament in my home city? How dare you? Wait till Australian Open. I'll show you what I can do. That's the feeling I have when I watch her. The sheer determination and anger and power and just in Tim, just she's. I think it's the best performance of a women's tennis players I've ever seen. Kind of. I think it's there right up there. Yeah, absolutely. She's a, a phenom uh, to, to, still. Like, there's not much, like, again, I hate to, like, dismiss the women or not talk about the women's draw as much as, as we are. We're so focusing on the men's draw because the men's draw has intrigue. And it really comes down to that. It's not, you know, you know, you'll have to take our word for us if you're new to listening to us. It's not our nature to ignore women's sport. But at the same time, it's when you're... It's quite the opposite, actually, usually. Yeah, at the same time, when you're looking at... Uh, at a woman who's so incredibly dominant, the, all you really can talk about is her dominance, and there there comes a certain point where you're just repeating yourself, so it becomes difficult to break down. But we will uh, we'll obviously uh, talk about the the finals and that when they when they get there. Assumedly, she'll be there. Uh, if we're wrong, then hey, that's good for the sport too, and uh, we'll move on. Uh, Kevin, you watched the doubles last night? Yes, I did watch part of the Sock Pospisil game. Unfortunately, they they won the first set, lost to two other. As we're saying, the chain went off and they were not be able to put it back in. And Nestor and Stepanek, unseeded in this tournament, beat a seeding team to move their way into the quarterfinals of the double a men's double draw. So great for Nestor and Stepanek. Again, we mentioned the last show, take a look at them. They might have a chance to make it far in the tournament because of their draws in the bracket. So, so far, so good for Nestor and Stepanek. Unfortunately, Sock is Pospisil. Pospisil has done his tournament. So as Sock, so... Uh, no hardware and silverware for those two this year at the Australian Open. All right. Uh, looking good for Canada's Davis Cup uh, run as well. Yep. Uh, if you look at uh, the performance of the double seams and uh, and Milos so far this year. And, and Papasol looked okay in the uh, first set uh, against yeah. uh, um, Simone. But, uh, but it's certainly Simone, top 10 player in the world. What do you want to yeah. do? Yeah, exactly. So uh, good stuff there. All right. And that's game, set, match on today's show. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.